The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Prepare us, O God, to hear your word through the scriptures of this day. Confront us with your claims on our lives. Clarify the choices we must make if our lives are to have meaning and purpose. Help us to respond to the one who came as the bread of life, so we may know life at its fullest and best. Amen. Amen. The lesson today is from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. 
The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The story of the prodigal son. It's probably one of the most well-known of all of Jesus' parables. If you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this one before. And even if you haven't, there's a decent chance you've heard references to it in other places. But here's a question for you. Do you know what the word prodigal means? I'm going to be honest. Until I started reading for this sermon, I thought I did. I just sort of assumed it meant something like the son who came back, or maybe the repentant son. I've never actually given it that much thought. Turns out I was wrong. (laughs) Prodigal actually means lavish or recklessly extravagant. And that really caught my attention because it occurred to me that we've mislabeled this parable. The story isn't about the prodigal son. It's about the prodigal father. We know the younger son is a, well, we're in church, so let's just say he's a jerk. (laughs) He's cruel, treating the father as if he were already dead by demanding his inheritance while his father still lived. He's wasteful, living beyond his means in reckless abandon. He is... In short, a pretty terrible person by most any reasonable standard. (laughs) But there comes a day when he's broke. So broke that he's raising pigs, which was forbidden for Jews. He's hungry. So hungry that he wishes he could eat what the pigs were eating. He's isolated. He's alone. He is, in an almost literal way, in hell. And the text tells us that he comes to himself. He remembers where he came from, and he decides to return. Not to reclaim his place as a son, but to throw himself on his father's mercy and ask to be treated merely as a hired hand. Enter the father. There are some interesting things hidden behind the English text back in the original Greek here. When the story tells us that the father divided his property to fulfill the son's demand, the Greek word here is bios. It's one of the Greek words for life, from which we get words like biology. The father divided his life and gave part of it freely to the son. Furthermore, when the father refers to the son as lost, the Greek word here is apolumi. You can translate that as lost, But it means lost in a sense of a part separated from the whole and destroyed. When he sees his son coming down the road, what a moment that must have been. Because in the father's eyes, the identity of the son wasn't the prodigal. It was the destroyed. And when that proved to be untrue, When the child came to himself and came home, there was no room for anything but joy. 
It is the lavish, recklessly extravagant love of the father for his child that leaves no room for lectures or judgment or anger. Now, it's worth noting that nobody sought out the younger son to tell him what a jerk he was. No one tried to convince him to repent. But when his own brokenness became too much to bear, he had to make the choice to go home. And even more so, he had to act on his resolve. When he meets the father, he doesn't explain, he doesn't offer excuses, he doesn't barter, he doesn't even ask for forgiveness or restoration. He simply comes home, confesses what he did wrong, and asks for the chance to keep living. When hardship and poor choices had proven to him that he wasn't enough, he came back to the place where he knew he was enough. What a place his father's house must be. Have you ever been the younger son? Have you ever found yourself in a place where you suddenly said, this isn't who I am? and started trying to find your way back to yourself? Have you ever known you were in the wrong, known you hurt someone deeply, faced the one you hurt and said, I hurt you, I'm sorry? Have you stood heart and soul stripped naked in guilt and shame, acknowledging their pain without trying to make it about you? and owning the fact that your pain isn't the point in that moment. I have. I suspect most of us have. And if so, I don't know how they responded to you. At the end of the day, we're all only human, and we don't always get either side of that equation right. But I do know what this story tells us. I know that when we, as children of God, remember that we are children of God. When we own our faults and come home, the lavish, recklessly extravagant love of our God leaves no room for anything but joy. The prodigal father is our father. But what about the elder brother? Lest we forget, there are two sons in this story. And I suspect, if we're honest, most of us are more likely to identify with him than with the younger. The elder son is the good son, after all, right? He's the one who does what's expected of him, who follows all the rules of being a good son. We should want to be just like him, right? You know, if I'm asking the question, the answer is probably no. no. (laughs) The younger son was a hot mess. who forgot who he was. The secret hiding in this story is that the elder son has forgotten who he is, too. This is a son who's forgotten that he's a son. He refers to himself as a slave. He doesn't address the father as father. He refers to his brother as that son of yours. He hasn't done all of the things he has done out of love for his father. He's done them out of obligation. And his resentment and anger overflows into a denial of his very family. 
And it seems to me, if we're to take this text seriously, part of what we're hearing in the elder son's story is jealousy. Not just of the party being thrown, but of the life he presumes his younger brother has led. When I lived in Boston during seminary, uh, I attended the Boston Vineyard, uh, and one of my friends there pointed out something that I had never noticed before. He said that we identify with the anger of the elder brother because deep down we carry the same assumption that he did. Deep down, we believe that a life of sin is better and more fun than a life of living with God. Well, doesn't that just make you go oomph? (laughs) But isn't that what the elder brother is saying? He spent all his time with the father, but sees his life as less good than his younger brother's. On the one hand, why wouldn't we believe that? Most American churches have historically focused on duty and right living and judgment to the point that we have a pathological fear of pleasure in any form. If you're enjoying it, it must be bad for you. On the other hand, joy is an attribute of the Holy Spirit and an attribute of God. Fun and pleasure, relaxing and enjoying, these are gifts of God's abundant love for us. Now, it is certainly true that we can find a way to corrupt any pleasure. Human beings are real good at that. (laughs) But that reality doesn't mean that pleasure itself is bad. Anything can become bad if it excludes God's or God or harms us or others. Pleasure or duty, fun or sacrifice. The elder brother removes the pleasure from his own life, not because the father demands it, but because it lets him feel superior about himself and the sacrifices he's made. The elder brother martyred himself without need. Have you ever found yourself in that place? Have you ever found yourself lamenting that nobody appreciates the sacrifices you've made, that nobody cares about all that you've done for them? Do you ever think yourself better than others because you're following the rules, even though you'd really rather be breaking them? Do you sacrifice out of love, or do you do it to prove yourself better? Do you care out of love, or do you do it for recognition? These are hard questions, and I suspect that most of us will have to answer yes to all possible answers at some point in our lives. We know the younger son remembered who he was and came home. We don't know if the elder brother ever joined the party or if his wounded self-pity kept him out in the same isolation his brother returned from. Which son is the good son again? Neither. Both sons lost their way and needed to find their way back to themselves and to the father. Jesus told this story to explain why he ate with sinners 
and more importantly, to remind the scribes and the Pharisees who God really is. He's telling the story to the elder sons of his day, while he associated an eight with the younger sons, the elder legalists and the younger sinners. Here in the season of Lent, as we take stock of our lives and prepare for the resurrection of Easter, I think it's worth taking a hard look at these two sons and see where they are reflected in each of us. Because at the end of the day, if we want to celebrate with God, we're going to party on God's terms. It's mercy and grace for all. It's the overwhelming joy and compassion of a destroyed life made whole. And it's the radical, lavish, recklessly extravagant love of our prodigal father. So may it always be. Amen.